Good morning, guys. Hope everyone's doing well. If you haven't been here the last few weeks, I, um, we, we just finished a little series that we were doing on heaven and hell, and that's um, up on the podcast. If you haven't listened to it, I mean, I'm the one that did it, but I would greatly recommend it. I thought it was pretty amazing. So if, if you missed one, go check it out. It's a little bit deep. It's mostly um, all scripture, just kind of walking through about what the scripture actually says about heaven and hell, because we have a lot, have a lot of assumptions and we've heard a lot of things, but many of those assumptions come from ideas and not necessarily scripture. So we just finished um, that little series and this morning we're gonna jump into a new one called Joy Stealers. Now, this is gonna probably go on for a few weeks. We'll kind of see what happens and I wanna talk about things that steal our joy. Now, if you're a Christian, joy and happiness might not be our, you know, our end goal or our desire. The, the goal isn't just to be happy all the time, but the goal is to bring heaven to earth, to be a part of the advancement of God's dominion and his reign. And the Bible says that the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy. And many of us live without joy and we live without the kingdom and we don't bring that kingdom to earth because we spend our lives having it stolen from us. All right, so I don't know about you, but I want to be a person that when I walk into work, when I walk into family gatherings, that I walk in with a peace and joy about me, and it's something that people can notice and recognize because that's the Spirit of God that moves within us. So I want to, I want to bring that type of culture and that type of anointing into our work environments, into our family environments. But I mean, even if you're not a Christian, you would probably also agree that you don't want to have your joy stolen from you. So that's what um, we're going to be talking about. And this morning, I'm going to tackle two um, very similar, two very similar, but somewhat different joy stealers. All right. So the first one we're going to talk about is comparison. All right, that's gonna be our first joy stealer. I was telling um, Allie this morning what I was talking about, and I was telling her about how my title was joy stealer, and I was like, this is the coolest and most original thing in the world, and she goes, hey, that makes me think of that Teddy Roosevelt quote that says, comparison is the thief of joy. And I was like, man, nothing is new under the sun. <laughs> you know, so... Um, I don't know how that whole outside of time thing worked, but he stole it from me, all right? So just in case you're wondering, but, but I, I thought I might as well just go ahead and add it into the message. Comparison is the thief of joy. Wow, Teddy, we are on the same page wherever you are, you know? <laughs> Sorry, that might be too, too deep of a joke. I don't know, um, I don't know what his um, private life is like. All right, so anyway, moving on. Comparison is the first stealer that we're gonna talk about, okay? Because it's something that I noticed, I don't know if it's just with us having um, almost a two-month-old baby around, but I noticed that comparison is so deep inside our culture that the second we come out of the womb, all of a sudden we are then comparing our child. Who is the healthiest? Who sleeps the best? Who has the biggest head? Who's the longest? Who's, you know, who's the best well-behaved child? And, and the list goes on. We compare our children. Maybe it's not necessarily a bad thing, but we do it all the time. It's just something that's in our culture. And as we grow up, 
not only do our parents make those comparisons, but all of a sudden it's us that are asking the same questions. The boys go, am I the fastest? And the girls go, am I the prettiest? And we all go, well, I want to be the smartest. There's something inside of us that wants to be the ist. We want to be the smartest, the prettiest, the fastest. And it seems like since the beginning of time, that thing known as comparison seems to show up not only in our lives, but also in our relationships. And, um, and not only is it from the beginning of time, but if you open up scripture, if you open up the word of God, you only have to flip a few pages before this thing known as comparison starts to show up. So we're gonna read a story out of Genesis 4, all right? This is the story of Cain and Abel. And I know maybe some of you guys are super familiar. Maybe some of you have never read this story before, but I want us to look at it with somewhat of a new perspective, all right? Because a lot of times if we've heard things before, we don't actually gain what the Lord might want to speak to us. So let's read it like it's the first time, all right? So this is Genesis 4, chapter 1. It says, now Adam had sexual relations with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant. Now, I, I wasn't going to stop, but I have to stop. Don't you guys wonder what that, not like what it was like, but what it was like, you know? They're like, hey, we figured out the world's best pastime. And then all of a sudden, Eve's stomach starts to expand, <laughs> you know? Like, what, what type of thought process was that? It's like, whoa, did, 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 are you dying? Like, she's throwing up all of a sudden. Her stomach's expanding. It's like, man, that was the best pastime, but did we screw something up? You know, did they have to wait the nine months before they found out it was a human being inside of her? Like, these are the thoughts that I think when I'm reading scripture. Like, what was that actually like? You know what I'm saying? Because it says, when she gave birth, she gave birth to Cain, you know? But she was the first, guys. What was that experience like? It sounds a little bit hectic and quite scary to me, honestly. When she gave birth, she gave birth to Cain. She said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected, which means sad or heartbroken or depressed. And he says, why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you but you must subdue it and be its master. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go into the fields. And while they were in the fields, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Now, every time I've um, you know, read this story or heard it preached, the main focus 
is really on the evil and the wicked act of Cain. And and I think rightfully so, you know, it really kind of speaks to what we are capable of as humanity, the fact that our first death was a murder. The fact that our firstborn was a murderer, it really kind of speaks to what we are capable, the idea and the thought that a man's heart is wicked and evil and all of his ways. But I don't want to just look at the fact that Cain did something wicked and evil and sinful, but I want to look at why Cain did something wicked evil and sinful. I want to look at what caused him to do it, what he was feeling in his heart, all right? So the Bible says that they both, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. You know, a lot of times we bring in this assumption that um, Cain was being greedy or he was presenting things that were trashy, you know, the crops that were wilted, but the scripture doesn't actually say that. It just says that he presented some. And that's the very thing that many of us do to God, right? We just present some. But Abel presented the first fruits. There's a tithing message in there somewhere, but I'm just going to skip right over it, okay? He presented some, and no matter the reason, all right, no matter the reason, Cain felt rejected by God. He felt depressed and sad. He felt like his brother was wanted and his brother was accepted, but he wasn't. Whether it was justified or not, right? And I think if we are honest with ourselves, we've all felt a similar feeling to that. We've all felt that feeling of someone else being wanted, of someone else being loved more than us. And it's that very desire that drove Cain to do the evil and wicked act. And we're all somewhat familiar with the idea of not being picked, of not being wanted, of not being picked for the sports team, of not being chosen for the promotion. You know, it's like, well, well, Susie and Jim invite everyone else over for dinner and they never invite us. You know, like I think it's your fault, Karen. I think it's you. You know, it's like they invite everyone else but never us. And that's like, well, well, Mark Mark does so many sweet things for his wife. Why does Jimmy never do that for me? Why Why does Mark still look at her like that and yet Jimmy just, he could care less. And it's like there's something inside of us from the moment that we were born that we were brought up to compare everything. To compare our career, to compare our finances, to compare our physical outbeing, whatever it might be, we compare it like it's a way of life. And many of us aren't even aware that we do it because it's just part of our culture and it's a part of who we are. Comparison will kill you or eventually cause you to kill someone else. It's a little rough, but Cain seemed to prove the, um, prove the topic, right? There was something inside of him that eventually led him to anger and eventually led him to murder because there was something in his heart. There was a stealer inside of him that was never treated. 
So this is the point that I want to talk about. I believe there's little things that steal our joy, and if they're never treated, they're going to lead to bigger things. There's things that show up in our relationship, whether it's a family relationship or a relationship with the Father, that if they aren't treated, they're going to lead to bigger things. They will eventually kill your relationship or they'll cause you to kill someone else's relationship. All right, because comparison will either make you feel superior or inferior, right? There's only two options when it comes to comparison. You're either going to feel superior or inferior. It's the very essence of what it is. And many of us love to feel superior, right? But the problem with superior is it leads to um, two very popular sins. It's pride and arrogance. And that's really the option when it comes to comparison is you'll eventually show up with pride. You'll eventually show up with arrogance. But when you feel inferior, it leads to a different sin. I would argue that it's one just as deadly, but no one likes to talk about it and no one likes to admit that they struggle with it. Because feeling inferior will eventually lead to this little word called jealousy. Now, I know none of you have ever struggled with it, and I know I sure haven't, right? (laughs) Because jealousy seems to be the hardest to own up to sin that I can think of, all right? You know, we can admit that we deal with anger. We can admit that we've struggled with guilt. But when it comes to jealousy, it's just so petty, It's just so embarrassing because the essence of jealousy is literally to say, I want what you have, and to say that is to reveal that I am lacking and less than. And it's the very thing that none of us are willing to do or willing to say. So I think jealousy is one of those sins that that just kind of lingers in the background. It lingers in the background because we not only are we not aware, but we don't want to admit to anyone else or to ourselves that we actually think those thoughts. So I want to show you, I don't think jealousy is just the belief of wanting what someone else has, but I think there's actually a deeper root to it, and that's what we're going to talk about today. I want to bring some awareness to the stealer that steals most of our joy, and then also give you some tools, a few principles to help you fight the stealer. Sound good? All right, so many of us think simply wanting what someone else has, but that's not actually the root. You see, when we think of jealousy, we think of things we lack, whether that's looks or talents or money or even health, right? We think the problem is with the person that has what we want, much like Cain. You know, when we read the story, there seems to be no conflict between Cain and Abel. It wasn't until his rejection with God that his anger all of a sudden stirred towards his brother. And I think if we're honest, the things and the times that we felt jealous, whether it comes to our health, why, why am I dealing with a bad back? Why am I dealing with you know, this health condition when no one else is? Why, why don't I have a great career thrown in my lap like my brother did? And many of us think the problem is with Abel when in reality, let's face it and let's be honest, God could have fixed all of that. 
I mean, let's be honest, God could have given you a better job. He could have given you a more loving spouse. He could help your kids to listen to you. He can even do that. God could have showed up in every single way if he would have just blessed you the way that he blessed your brother. Because in reality, you don't really want your brother's house. You just want a house like your brother's. You don't really have a problem with the fact that your sister-in-law can eat loads and loads of carbs and not gain a pound. Your problem is the fact you gain weight by watching her do it. (laughs) The problem isn't really with her. The problem is with the fact that God could have changed it if he wanted to. If he would have just blessed you the way that he blessed everyone else, you'd be in a better financial position, you'd be in a better relationship, you'd feel more loved and more wanted. It's not really Abel's fault. If we're honest, jealousy says one simple phrase, God owes me. And none of us want to admit it None of us want to say we even struggle with it, but the root of jealousy every time we feel it is there's something in our heart saying, God owes me. If God could have just fixed my relationship, I wouldn't be in debt if I could have just had a great job thrown in my lap. If I could be like Blippi and wear a bow tie and suspenders and be a millionaire, you know? It's like, God, why can't I have a fancy bow tie that makes me a millionaire? You could have just thrown that career in my lap. Our problem isn't with Blippi. Our problem isn't with Abel. You guys all know you've Googled his net worth before. I know you have. It's not Abel. It's actually God. Our problem is God owes me. And it's a scary thought, and I know many of us, it sounds like heresy to utter it, but yet the idea of it is many of us live our lives and think and act as though it's a reality, even though we're not willing to actually say it. Many of us look at things that we've wanted or careers or paths that we've always desired and yet we don't have it, but the truth is God could make it happen. So where comparison begins, contentment ends. Where comparison begins, contentment ends. And the sad truth is it's not just us, but we have seen this throughout scripture, whether it was Joseph's brothers or Rachel and Leah, when it's King Saul, we see it in the church of Corinth, we see it with you know, the brothers, Zebedee and John. I mean, we just see this comparison thing show up time and time in scripture, and we see it show up in our relationships time and time again. And I think it's almost like something we're brought into. It's like we don't even have a choice. It's something that we're raised in because we want to be the est. We want to be the smartest. If God would have just made me a little bit smarter, I actually could have finished college and made some money. If God would have just made me a little bit luckier, I actually could have been like Blippi. 
He could have changed it all, but none of us are willing to say it. Many of us create these, you know, arguments with Abel. We create these resentments with people that aren't the problem. And we never actually deal with the root of what comparison and jealousy cause. And they continue to steal from us because we're never actually addressing the problem. We continually address Abel when our, pro, when our bone, when our problem's actually with God. And it's something that we have to work through and it's something that we have to address. James 3.16 says, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. So how can we keep the stealer from stealing our joy and causing disorder and evil in our lives and in our relationships. So I'm not gonna um, talk for long. I'm almost done, but I just want to, um, my main point is to raise awareness to things that linger in the background of our relationships and our lives, and we can spend decades and years feeling emotions and pointing in the wrong direction. All right, but not only do I want to raise awareness, but I also wanna give you guys some tools to help fight the very thing that shows up in probably every single American's life. All right, so we're going to um, address two principles or, or maybe two tools that I want you guys to put in your um, tool belt because I'm gonna give you um, these two things to make sure that the stealer doesn't steal from you because remember, we wanna bring peace and joy with us everywhere we go. We wanna be people that are ambassadors of peace and joy. We wanna carry that with us into our homes. When we put our children to bed, when we wake them up in the morning, we want our children to see us as ambassadors of peace and joy. We want our coworkers to see us as ambassadors of peace and joy because that's the kingdom. We wanna bring it with us everywhere we go. All right, so here's the first principle. It's fairly easy. Many of us have heard it before, but we need to actually practice it, and it's celebrating others' accomplishments. Celebrating others' accomplishments. And let me just say this. You know, it's really easy when your best friend is a pro chess player, and you're like, oh, he's just the best chess player. And you're like, chess is stupid, you know? It's like, I, it's good for him. I'm glad he's the best. But I don't, I don't care about chess. It's a lot harder to celebrate and champion your coworker when they get the promotion that you've been working for for a year. It changes the perspective of what it means to actually celebrate others. We've gotten really good at celebrating things that we don't care about and we don't want. We need to get good at celebrating the things that people have that we've always wanted. Because this will be one of the tools that helps abolish jealousy in your life. We need to get good at celebrating the things that we've always wanted. When you've prayed for years that God would heal you from your health condition. It's so, it's, it's nasty and we don't like to admit it, but then when we hear someone else got healed, 
We think our problem is with Abel when really it's with God. We need to learn how to celebrate others, to celebrate the accomplishments that we've always wanted. It's hard, but if you let comparison and jealousy in, evil and disorder will come with them. Because remember, we praise in public and confront in private. We praise in public and confront in private. Many of your marriages would look a lot healthier if you could implement that one principle into your life. We praise in public. We celebrate in public. And we discipline in private. If you're leading a business, if you're, you know, if you're a leader, you always celebrate in public and you only discipline in private. We need to be people that are good at celebrating others, lifting them up and championing them forward because peace and joy is what it's about because we want to bring the kingdom to earth. All right, the second one. I titled it, What Am I Owed? What am I owed? Because I notice, um, again, I don't know if it's our culture or if it's you know, just all over the world. I grew up in our culture, so I'm familiar with it. And I grew up hearing um, this phrase all the time, and you might be familiar with it as well. I grew up hearing, they deserved better. She deserved better. He didn't deserve that. And whether we're aware of it or not, we grow up in this American culture where we feel that we deserve the best of what life has to offer. We deserve the best of what life has to offer. And then when our gift isn't accepted, when we keep gaining weight, <laughs> when we don't get the promotion, we feel like we're, we're owed something. If God would have just blessed me the way that he blessed everyone else, I wouldn't be in this position. When in reality, um, Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. You know, it's really hard to pierce through our self-righteousness and realize the wages, the payment, what we deserved for the way that we lived and the seeds that we planted was death itself. That's what you deserve. Allie and I do this all the time when we're watching TV. You know, people will make that statement, I deserve it. And we go, you deserve nothing. The wages of sin is death. Look at this. I deserved nothing, but God gave me everything. And you know, the problem is we confuse everything with everything that we want when in reality, everything is eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. That is everything the good news, the everything that I got from God is not that I'm gonna be the healthiest. It's not that I'm gonna live the longest. It's not that I'm going to be the richest, but the everything is that one day I will rise again and live in eternity. 
where there'll be no more weeping, no more sadness, where he'll wipe every tear from my eye. That is the everything and that is the good news. So many of us believe that we deserve to be rich. We would never say it. We deserve to be healthy. We deserve to be loved. We deserve to be wanted when in reality, our, what we deserved was death itself. God so loved the world that he paid the ultimate price so that you would not get what you deserved. I am so thankful that I'm not gonna get what I deserved. I want you to learn, I wanna learn how to celebrate others when they get the very thing that I've always wanted. When they get the family, when they get the promotion, when they lose the weight, I wanna learn how to celebrate in public the very thing that I've always, always wanted. I wanna realize that I really do deserve nothing, but yet God still gave me everything. That's the good news of the gospel. God gave me everything. So I wanna take a second because like I said, I really don't want this to continue to steal from you. I don't want it to steal your joy. I don't want it to steal from your relationships or the way that you parent your kids or the way that you look at your parents. I want you to bring peace and joy everywhere you go. So um, we're gonna take a second. I want you to close your eyes. I just want you to ask God, what area in my life have I been comparing myself? And just ask God, just ask for wisdom and understanding, for grace. I know I've had to do it many times, but maybe you need to apologize to God. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for feeling like you owed me. So Father, I just ask that you'll continue to speak to us, that you'll work within us, that this isn't something that we think about for one day and move on, but that we would actually get out of the comparison trap. That we would actually learn to be children of God, not continually looking to the left or right, but actually looking at you. God, would you just release truth this morning? Would you just release identity this morning that we would see you and we would see ourselves for who we truly are? God, I wanna see you. I wanna know you. So God, I just ask that you would bless everyone here that you would go before them and behind them, that you would guide them and protect them and that you would speak to them, that we would all be closer to you next week than we are this week.
your name, amen.